you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to John's Gospel, John chapter 1, for our passage this morning. We will be looking specifically at verses 29 to 34. And as you're turning there, I want to take the opportunity once again to welcome you here today. It's so good to have you with us, especially those of you that are visiting with us this morning. And if you are visiting with us this morning, I want you to know that we have been going through the Gospel of John the past several weeks. We find ourselves this morning dealing with an interesting figure named John the Baptist. We've been talking about him for a couple of weeks now. Um, last week in the section just before our passage this morning, he was approached by Jewish leaders, by uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they wanted to know a simple question, but a profound one, who are you? Why do you do what you do? What is the purpose, the intent? How do you get to preach to Jews to repent? Why do you baptize with water? Why do you proclaim that the Savior is coming? And John, instead of telling them who he is, he tells them who he's not. I am not Christ. I am not the prophet. I am not Elijah. But I am the one who cries out from the wilderness to make way or make ready for the Lord. But this week we get a different conversation. We get a different interaction from John the Baptist. For in this passage this morning, John sees his Savior. He sees his Redeemer. He sees the one who he is supposed to cry out for. And what I want you to pay careful attention to this morning is the difference. Last week John was asked, who are you? And he goes on and on about who he's not. This week, read it as if he's asked, who is Jesus Christ? And note the difference in how well he describes Jesus over himself. Well, that's a, an, enough of an introduction. I want to hear it for ourselves this morning. So would you please follow along with me to read for us the Word of God. I'll begin in verse 29. The next day he, being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please bow with me as we go to him in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray, we long, we seek you this day. We long to be with you, to know you, to feel your comfort and your truth in us. Father, we want to let others know about this hope and this truth and this joy. But often we don't know the words to say or how to go about it. Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you call us to this wonderful proclamation of the good news of the gospel through our passage this morning? By the power of the Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might receive your truth this day? 
and with gladness may we go forth and proclaim it to the lost and dying world. We pray all of these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of my favorite jokes that I have ever heard went a little something like this. A CrossFitter, an atheist, and a Jeep owner walked into a bar. I know this because they told everyone there within the first 30 seconds. Whether I understand something or not, I am always excited to listen to someone who is excited about something. There's almost a, a different level of energy you get from a conversation when someone is talking to you about something they are deeply passionate about. From our passage this morning, I feel that level of excitement or energy. It is a stark contrast from how John is called to describe himself to how John describes his Savior. This is what he was born for. His purpose in life was to herald the coming of Jesus. And now right before him is one who was sent, who he was sent to proclaim. John teaches us in this description, in this explanation of Christ this morning, how to speak to others about Christ. The theological term for this is called evangelism. Evangelism, simply put, telling others about God. And what I want to do this morning, what I want us to do is learn from John how to tell others about God. We're going to do this in three steps or three phases this morning. First, we must realize that we are to behold. Behold the Lamb of God. We'll see this in verses 29 and 30. Secondly, our keys to sharing the gospel is believe the testimony of the Holy Spirit, verses 31 to 33. And then thirdly, I want us to see how in light of all of this, we will be compelled to bear witness to the Son of God. This is demonstrated for us in the final verse. Three points to sharing our faith. And first, we're called to behold the Lamb of God. Let's start there. Now I'm going to do something you're not supposed to do. I'm going to explain a joke. For some of you, you kind of looked and like, oh, we know that was supposed to be funny, but I have no idea what he meant. Well, that's because you don't know anyone that does CrossFit. You know no one who owns a Jeep or you have never interacted with an atheist. Why do I know that? Because you didn't laugh. If you did... You know someone who does CrossFit, which is a type of physical exercise that has garnered a radical following. You know someone who owns a Jeep because that pretty much is their whole personality and they love to tell you about it and everything about it and what it's like having one and how cool they are and beneficial and no, they're not that gas efficient, but they're still really neat to drive. Or you've come across an atheist in your time and they cannot have a conversation without saying, I, I do not believe in God. An even better joke than the one I told earlier, the key to being an atheist is to believe two things. There is no God and I hate him. <laughs> there we go. That's a little better. <laughs> you see, when you know these people, they care about what they do or what they have or what they believe in and they tell others. Sometimes whether you want it or not, they share freely and openly. And that's not a bad thing. But let me ask you this this morning. 
If we were to change the joke, if we were to, to, to shift one of those descriptors, would the joke still land? A, a crossfitter, a Jeep owner, and a Christian walk into a bar. Well, for some of you, that joke would stop there. It's like a bar. Oh, no, not a good Christian. But could you land the punchline? Would the Christian, within 30 seconds of being in the bar, have told the people around them, I'm a Christian? Would they have been excited to share as the CrossFitter and the Jeep owner? Would they want others to know around them, this is who I am, this is what I believe, so much so that to know me is to know this? Or would the Christian shy away, hesitate, be reluctant to give that information? Well, I want to help you this morning. I want to help you get to that place where, where to know you is to know Christ. And the first step in doing that, as John shows us here, is to know who Christ is. Up until this point, John's ministry has been about proclaiming a Savior who is to come. The one who comes after me ranks before me. He who comes, comes in the name of the Lord. He will usher in the kingdom of God. But as Jesus begins his earthly ministry and we start to see the ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus overlap, now John finds himself face to face with his Messiah, with his Savior. We get from the general to the specific. And on this interaction, on this exchange between John the Baptist and Jesus, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Look to Jesus. Behold Jesus. That word there, behold, it, it carries a sense of necessity to it. It's not simply, if you would get a chance, maybe in your spare time, consider this. But look at this now. You have to see this. And who does John tell us to behold? Who is the person that gives John such energy and such excitement? The Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Beautiful, beautiful choice of words there. Hotly debated what he meant. There are several potential interpretations to John's description of Jesus. When many of us read this passage, read this section, the Lamb of God, we think to Christ's sacrificial work. That he came as the sacrificial Lamb of God. The one who would be slain. Much like the sacrifice given in Abraham's day with Isaac. The Lord will provide a sacrifice. Well, we can read into these words, Jesus Christ is the sacrificial Lamb of God. The challenge is that throughout the entire gospel, most people don't get that. Most people don't, at least at first, understand Jesus' sacrificial work. And so it could be that John the Baptist here is calling Jesus meek, meek like a lamb. It, it could be a, a relation here to the, the scapegoat, the lamb that is sent away or, or pardoned. It could be that John here is thinking to the book of Revelation. 
And this is probably the most likely that imagery we get there in Revelation chapter 5 of the warrior lamb. The one that comes and conquers, that defeats the enemies of the people of Israel, that, that restores the kingdom of God, that triumphs in might and in power. The Lamb of God. Now, while we may be compelled to pick one of those options over the other, I am most compelled to tell you by the power of the Holy Spirit, John meant yes to all of the above. I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, whether John recognized it or not, he was speaking about the sacrificial Lamb of God, the man of peace, the Lamb that was pardoned, and at the same time the Lamb that comes in victory to bring judgment upon the, those that reject Him. This is what John says about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. And why is this important? What's so significant about the Lamb of God? Well, John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Through His ministry, through His time, through whatever He was going to do, it would conquer, defeat, deliver people from their sin. That's good news, right? Because how many people are sinful? All of them. How many people need deliverance? All of them. How many of us on our own can do that? None of us. So behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now John uses a phrase here he's going to use over and over again in his gospel. It has been misinterpreted and misapplied so I feel the need uh, to point it out here. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Some theologians will use that phrase to argue for unlimited atonement or salvation for all. That Jesus died for every single person. And it is by your choice or lack of choosing that makes the difference. However, that is a terrible interpretation of this word. This word here, as it is in John 3.16, where it's often uh, cited, remember John is speaking to Jews. John is speaking to a Jewish audience. And what John is saying here, as is in other places in, in this gospel, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so for a Jew, their world was small. But to believe, to understand, to see that, that salvation could not only come for the Jews, but also the Gentiles would have been a bigger understanding. It would have been as if the whole world could come to know Christ. And that would have angered them. So much so they might have killed the person who believed it and promoted it. Oh wait, they did. But I'll, I'll just reference this. D.A. Carson makes a good point here. The sacrifice of Christ is not restricted in its purpose or effectiveness only to the Jewish race. Rather, it refers to all humans without distinction of background, which will include the Gentiles, a major point in the book of John. That being said, the requirement for this salvation remains for both parties 
faith in him. Salvation for those who believe in him. It's not limited to the Jews, but also includes the Gentiles, which encompasses the whole world, either Jew or not Jew. That's everyone. But we'll get back to that when we get to John chapter 3. John concludes this, this descriptive section of Jesus Christ by stating something he said multiple times already. This is him. I told you one was coming after me who ranks before me. Here he is. Let's put it differently. Everything I've been saying, there's the truth. There he is. Here's the point. Here's what I've been saying. I told you he was coming and now he's here. Let's go back to our idea of sharing the gospel. John knows about Jesus. He knows his Old Testament, and he makes great allusions to the sacrificial lamb that occurs all across Scripture. That's a, a, a topic of discussion all in on its own. He knows the eternal nature of the Son of God. He proclaims it openly and freely. So what do we learn here about sharing the gospel in our own day? It is to say this, you cannot share what you do not know. You cannot share what you do not know. Do you want to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If yes, then, my programmers and engineers here, let's follow our flow chart, then you've got to know what it is. Follow-up question, where do I find that? Right here, the book. Do you want to know Jesus? Know the book. Do you want to know who he is and what he came to do and why he came to do it? It's right in the book. Well, what if I need his help? Pray. I, I think far too often we minimize the importance or the implication of the fact that we have a direct, open communication line to our Creator. Do you ever just think about that? Not only do you pray, but do you think about prayer and what it is at any time of the day, wherever you are in the world, whatever is going on, you can talk to your Father and He hears you and He listens and He cares what you say. The Word, prayer, and then the sacraments, the means of grace, the means by which we come to know Him. The more we get to know Him, the more we will proceed to the next two steps. But step one, know Him. Step two, believe the testimony of the Holy Spirit. If there was one truth, if, if there was one reality about God, and there's too many to count, but if there was one truth I could spend my ministry with you imparting upon you, if I could teach you one thing and to believe it down to the core of your being through my time here, it would be this one point. God does what He says He's going to do. State it differently. God is trustworthy. Let's state it differently again. There has not been one promise that God has made that he has not kept. Why is that important? Well, there are promises that he's made that have not been fulfilled yet. 
There are promises in this scripture, in this book, about your own lives that he has not closed the page on. So when we're uncertain, when we are unsure, when we don't know, when we feel a lack of confidence or worry or concern, all we have to do is ask ourselves a few simple questions. Is God trustworthy? Yes. If, yes, then. Will he do what he says he will do? How do I know? Okay, sidebar. Has he done everything he said he was going to do to this point? Yes. Is there any reason to doubt that he's going to do it again? No. Therefore, do not worry. God is a God who is consistent. God is a God who is trustworthy. And here in John, we see this taking place. John admits there was a time that I didn't know Jesus was Jesus. And that sounds a little funny, but really what John is saying is I knew I was praying and I was proclaiming that there's one coming, but until I met him, I didn't exactly put A with B. But he did. He did. He got there. He did see, start to grasp it. He's proclaimed him as the Lamb of God. But the, the key factor for John the Baptist was the baptism. And unfortunately, this gospel does not record it. Matthew does, uh, Matthew 3, 13 to 17. Mark does, Mark 1, 9 to 11. And Luke does, Luke 3, 21 to 22. They all record the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now, John's gospel is unique. And I don't know if I've mentioned this before um, as we've prepared for the gospel of John. John assumes you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke before you got here. He, Matthew, Mark, and Luke comprise what's called the synoptic gospels. They tell the similar stories in the similar order that you may believe. John wants you to believe, same thesis, same statement, it's still the gospel, but it wants to fill in some gaps for you. To bring some understanding in places that were, you may not previously have fully understood or grasped. And so John says here, the key point, the turning point for him was the baptism of Christ. He summarizes it beautifully. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Beautiful, beautiful passage. I would encourage you to read it this week. It's one of the most remarkable sections of all of Scripture. It's the clear, one of the clearest descriptions of the Trinity we have in all of Scripture. Jesus goes down into the water. He's baptized by John the Baptist. At that moment, the heavens open up. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. The Father speaks. So that you've got the Father speaking, the Spirit descending, the Son receiving it. Behold, this is my Son. Beautiful moment. It held particular beauty for John the Baptist, though. Because here's what John tells us that we didn't know otherwise. John had been given a prophecy. John had been given a prophecy. We read it here. God, the one who sent him, told him, said, John, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. God gave him special revelation, a special message. When you see one be baptized and the Spirit comes upon him and does not leave, that's the guy. And so when that happened, and John got to be the one to do it, he wasn't even told that. That was a beautiful surprise. By the way, you're going you're to be the one to baptize him. Spirit comes, descends upon Christ, and remains with Christ. 
Then John trusted. See how he ties promise and promise fulfilled to faith? He trusted God because God did what he said. Therefore, he could then go and boldly proclaim. And what does this have to do with our sharing our faith? What can we learn from this? Well, John knew about Jesus before he ever met him. He had the knowledge. And God provided a, a special revelation for him so that he might know Jesus was the one whom Scripture prophesied. And when that prophecy came true, he believed. It's one thing to know about something, to know about someone. And it may surprise you all to know, I don't own a Jeep. I just know a lot about them, so I can tell that joke. I know about Jeeps. I've never worked on one. I've never fixed one. I've only ridden in a couple in my lifetime. It's one thing to know about something. It's another thing to have it as a part of who you are. We can think of others in Scripture that knew about Jesus, can't we? And unfortunately, there, there's a group in Scripture that have probably have a better understanding of Jesus than many of us here today. Who is that? The demons. Mm, ouch. <laughs> What happens every time Jesus is ministering and, and he's ministering and he goes upon people that have demons or demon possessed? What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Wow. The demons, the ones cast out of heaven for rebelling against God, rightly proclaim who he is. And he usually has to tell them, you've got to be quiet because it's not time for people to know that. The demons knew about Jesus, but what's the difference? They didn't know him as their Savior. They did not submit to Him, yield their lives to Him. They did not bend their knee to Christ. You see, there is a difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. And how do we bridge that gap? How do we go from knowledge to belief? Well, we're told in Scripture, the Holy Spirit. Titus, um, uh, we're told very clearly, Paul tells Titus in Titus 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We will not share what we do not know. We add to that, we will not joyfully and passionately share what we do not believe. It's one thing to know about Jesus. You must know about him to have anything to say. But you must believe in what you know or you will not share it. If you do not believe it, you will not share it. Or if you do, you'll do it reluctantly, hesitantly, or it will lack power. Because you don't truly think it can change lives. So how do we get that faith? How do we grow in that understanding well, it's what we prayed at our new member reception this morning, that together we might search the scriptures, fellowship together, and come to love him. It's through what you're doing right now, participating in the worship of God with fellow believers, by singing his songs, praying his prayers, reciting his creeds, by reading it on your own, going to him, participating in the Lord's Supper, by doing so, we grow in our faith, we're strengthened, we're encouraged. We trust the work of the Holy Spirit. It's why, Lord willing, I will pray every time before I, I preach. Buckle up if that's new for you, because I can't do it. 
If, if you watch me during the offering, I'm praying before I pray for the sermon. Because I understand something very clearly. I can't save any of you. I can't do it. Nor is it my job to do so. It is the Holy Spirit's work. And so what is our prayer? What, what was the prayer of my brother this morning as he prayed? God, you make yourself known. God, you reveal yourself to your people. God, you be praised. But I'll tell you this. When you know about him, when you believe in him, you will be compelled to share it. That's what we see here in our final point. Bear witness to the Son of God. Let me state it like this. What is the consequence of having this level of faith? What is the conclusion? Again, let's create our if-then chart. If you believe, or if you have knowledge, and if you have belief, what then? What is the end of the chart? You will tell others. You won't be able to help it. Look at what John says. I have seen, and then here's the important part, and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now the Gospel writer John, different from John the Baptist, Gospel writer John says in John 20, 31, his purpose of writing this book, this letter, is so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote this letter. So that you can know Jesus and by knowing him, you might believe in him. Well, it doesn't get any clearer than what John the Baptist does here, right? That's him. He is the Savior. And I testify to you. See how this knowledge took John from understanding to belief to declaration? Born or bore out it means to carry or to, to deliver. He carried the testimony of Jesus Christ. He professed and proclaimed it to the Jewish people. I love what Matthew Henry says here of how he would have done this. John would have done this without imagery or flattery. He would not have used illusions or illustrations. He probably would have not have joked like I have this morning. He would have said it simply and he would have said it plainly. Why? Because it's the most important message anyone can ever hear. But he did it with joy. He did it with gladness. He did it convicted that the Lord would use it for his glory and the good of his people. I've had a prayer for each of you this week because I know what happens when you hear a message like this. Because it's what happens to me. <laughs> you get discouraged. You hear a message like this and you're like, you know what, pastor, you're right. I should be sharing the gospel, but I don't like to or I don't want to or I'm scared of it. You may not say that out loud, but you can in your heart. And you find yourself now even more convicted. Oh, now I feel even worse because you're saying it should come out of me. Take heart, dear Christian. Like I said, I've been praying for you all week because I, I share your struggles in this because this is an important message. And normally it's not because we don't want people to know. That's actually cruel. Actually worse than that, that would be evil. If you knew the salvation of Jesus Christ and refused it to share it with others, that's downright evil. Because you're saying you're not worth Jesus. You're worth eternal damnation. 
But I don't believe that that's what any of us are doing. I think we actually believe, and I think we are convicted to share it. I think we're just worried of messing it up. I think we believe, I just don't want to get it wrong. This is too important. This is too big. This means so much. I just don't want to mess it up. Please don't worry about that. Don't let that be your reservation. Because from our, our passage this morning, I want you to see that sharing the gospel is simple. One note I'll, I'll say about John the Baptist, he's still going to have questions. When he's in prison, he's going to send some of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you really that guy? Because he's not quite there yet. Even this guy, the one we're talking about this morning, the one that's proclaiming and preaching Jesus Christ, Savior, Sinner, Son of God, is going to have to send some of his disciples going, okay, did we get it right? Like, is it really you? He's not quite there yet, but he still shares. This message is simple, really. And if you want it boiled down in, it, in, its, in its barest form, I give it to you freely and openly now. You are a sinner. We've read the law of God this morning. You have failed it. You do not obey the Lord with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And to disobey God is to incur his judgment. For he calls us to obey and we disobey. He says do this and we don't. Therefore there is punishment. What is the punishment for disobeying God? Death. It is severe, but it's rightly deserved because we are blaspheming a holy judge. What do we deserve? Death. There is only one escape from that death. It's not you. You can't do it. You can't earn it. You can't purchase it. It has to be given to you. Only place you can go is to the cross. And to go to Jesus Christ, who is the sacrificial lamb of God, and say, save me. Take my place. Take my sin. Give me your righteousness. I confess my sin, my unworthiness to you. Stand for me. It's your only hope. That is your only hope. And here's the beautiful part. There's the problem. There's the answer. And what have I said all along? Now we can be confident. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How? Where's the how? that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise. And I'll conclude kind of how I started. Has God failed to keep a promise yet? Or has he done everything he said he's going to do? We're told in John chapter 3, we'll get there in several weeks, if we believe, we will be saved. So by trusting in him, we will have life. Do you believe? And when it comes to telling other people, that's what you got to do. If you want more help with that, and I'm just getting so far ahead of myself, go to John 4. Go to the woman at the well. Beautiful. One of my favorite examples in all of scripture of evangelism. The woman's had five husbands and she's sleeping with the sixth guy. And she's out of town in the middle of the day at the worst time possible to go to the well to get water because she's scared of the people in the village. She meets Jesus, has her life transformed, and where does she run? To the people she's hiding from. And what does she tell them? I've come to save you? No. You've got to believe this? No. Go see him. 
he has come. You don't have to save anyone. Just point them to the one who can. That's how we share our faith. We do it because we know it. We do it because we believe it. And we do it because it matters. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, would the good news of the gospel matter to us? And Father, I do pray, and I, and I include myself in this. When we feel afraid of getting it wrong, of misspeaking, of not doing justice, your truth, or maybe we get afraid that they may ask a question we may not be able to answer. In those moments, in that hour, would we remember your words in Matthew's gospel? Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. It is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. God, this word is precious. This gift is precious. May we let others know. May it be so much so that no one can leave a conversation with us without being challenged to know the Savior themselves. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful word. We pray that you would transform our lives and the lives of others through it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.